lot going on this week. Start with some lighter fare. Uh, I went back to the track last couple of weeks, started running again. And I've got an interesting plan. And I got an interesting response from somebody too about this plan. Somebody who actually knows what he's talking about a little bit. So my plan now is to run at the track super slow for a mile or two. And I mean slow. What I mean by slow is like 12 and a half minute mile. Like it's almost hard to run that slow. It would be easier to run faster. But if I start running faster at some point, I get a breath and there's some resistance. And I remember when I was young, I could run like super slow, so slow that you could walk fast next to me, keep up. I would do it for like two or three miles and all the sort of cobwebs and crankiness in my joints would get out of the system. And then I would start picking it up gradually, maybe mile four, I'd start running, you know, a 10 minute mile. And then by like mile five or six, I never really ran more than six miles at a time. I would be cranking. And I mean, there was one time in Central Park when I was, I think, 24. I don't know how far it was, maybe like a thousand meters, kilometer, probably not a full mile, where I felt like I was running like a five minute pace. I mean, I was almost sprinting. Maybe it was a 450 pace for like a kilometer. I was 24 years old, but wasn't much of a runner. I wasn't in great shape then. And I was like, man, this is so easy. I can't believe I'm not winded running this fast for this long. And it was only because I warmed up so gradually, so slowly for so long. So my method, which I keep changing my method, the whole point of running, I mean, it's good for my health and it's good to get in shape, but it's almost like the main point of running is to test out my method. It's sort of like the main point of making bets and fantasy football teams is to test out your predictions. Well, I'm trying to test out my strategic competence in training myself. And I'm not really looking at other people's training manuals. I did download this guy. I bought this guy guru anaerobics uh, manual, but he's, he's way different. He's crazy athlete and it's not for me. Yeah. For me, the, the thing is just go super slow till you kind of get in a rhythm and it might take a couple miles, which is tough because I have a bad ankle and I do it on the track. And then when I'm done with that, I walk a lap and then I basically do a quarter mile at a sub six pace. So I did it uh, Monday at a, five and a half minute mile pace for just 400 meters. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to run that, you know, 122, 400, but then I'm going to extend that pace another 50 meters eventually. So I'm now running a 450 at the five and a half, six minute mile pace. And then I'll run a 500 at the five and a half minute, six minute mile pace. At the same time, I'll be doing the mile at the 12 and a half minute pace. And that'll probably get down to 11, 10 and a half or 10 with absolutely no effort. My lungs will get a little stronger from the fast ones and the slow ones. And then pretty soon I'll be running, you know, nine minute mile to warm up eight and a half, eight. And then the fast quarter mile will be a fast half mile, fast thousand meters eventually. So I'm basically working in two directions. I'm working up, making the fast lap longer, and I'm working down, making the slow lap faster at the same time. And as gradually as I can with minimal pain. It's not that I can't take pain. I can, but it'll just, I, I just know the more pain I anticipate, the more excuses I'll have not to show up, or I'll just have to slave drive myself to the point where I'll be miserable, neither of which is a good option. So I want to minimize pain. The pain will be more psychological, emotional, which is staying at that slow pace for mile after mile and just getting into it. And so I, I typed that up in a, in a Substack post. You can check it out on chrislist.substack.com. And one of my readers, a guy I know, a friend of mine, tells me that actually there's something called zone two, which is 
it's kind of all the rage right now, which is exactly what I was doing. Basically that really slow, you can have a conversation while you jog that slow pace to burn away lactate, which is a byproduct, I guess, from using fast twitch muscle fibers or whatever. And then when you burn it away properly, it not only clears to make it easier to run, but also you can reuse it as fuel. So there's actually something scientific to what I experienced when I was 24 and I'd done it a bunch of times and what I was working on now. And actually like I discovered it myself accidentally, it turns out all these scientists, exercise scientists are discovering this and I've discovered it through experience, which is something I believe by the way, that if you really pay attention to your experience and trust your observations and be scientific in your self-experimentation, you may discover things that later get proven by science, you know, 20, 30 years later, but you may just pick it up naturally that you're getting the actual real-time feedback if you really pay attention, that's much more instructive than sort of the trial and error ways that they're researching a lot of this stuff. So anyway, I think it's interesting and I'm going to keep doing it and we'll see. Um, I think a modest goal would be a seven minute mile. I think I can do that as long as I don't injure myself, but how far below seven, I don't know. That would be, that's where it starts to get exponentially more difficult, the lower you go. So that's just something I've been running. I'm actually supposed to go today, looking forward to it. A couple other things, you know, I'm a Kantian of sorts. Act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law. Basically do the thing you think everybody should be doing in your shoes. And it's really a good answer to questions like, well, why should I say something on Twitter that might alienate potential subscribers? Or why should I do anything that is not going to make that much of a difference probably? And the answer is because you do what you want to see everybody doing. You don't know who else is going to see what you're saying and then say, you know what, maybe I'll do this too. You know, maybe I'll say something too. And then that triggers someone else. You don't know the cascade effects of what you're doing. All you can do is do the thing you think people should do. Just be the example of it. And again, you don't know. We, we just don't really know the, uh, all the effects of what we're doing. So in that spirit, I'm trying to do some things in my life that are Kantian besides just speak out what I think is true and urgent. And one of them is to get out of my uh, Vanguard 401k. I still have that through uh, Rotowire and I can stay on it even though I'm uh, no longer with Rotowire. But I think people should just get out of Vanguard and BlackRock funds and maybe even Fidelity. Uh, but that BlackRock has 10 trillion under management, Vanguard like 8 trillion. And these funds just have way too much power in the world. They may have more power than most sovereign nations because when they decide to sell, and that can trigger huge, huge cascades. And when they decide to buy or they say, oh, you need ESG, we're only going to buy ESG, then everybody runs to convert to ESG. These investment managers should not be running the world. It's just not right. Uh, they don't have the moral authority. They don't have the, they don't have the chops to do it. They don't have the ethical chops. They're not the kind of people with the necessary moral credibility to be running the world. It's just not their job. They, these are fund managers. These are bean counters. These are spreadsheet geeks. They should not be running the world. So I'm divesting. I'm waiting for a couple of technical things, but I'm divesting from, from Vanguard, $8 trillion fund to a smaller IRA. I'm converting it to an IRA. That's one thing. It's inconvenient, but again, if everybody did this and spread it out so that there was no one investment fund or no one 401k plan that had $8 trillion or $10 trillion in investment, then those people would not be running things. They would not have that kind of power. So 
well, it's inconvenient to make this move and file these forms and deal with this. But you want to see something really inconvenient? Slavery via ESG to random bean counters at these giant investment firms. It's kind of like that Twilight Zone movie where the guy's like, you want to see something really scary? He says to the hitchhiker and then rips off his face to be a monster and kills it. That's sort of what's, you want to see something really scary? You want to see something really inconvenient? Anyway, act only on that maxim. You would will to be a universal law. I am trying to divest presently from these giant funds and I think everybody should do it. And again, just saying that even, I think everybody should tell people to do it. They don't really understand the impact that passive investing has actually had, not just on the markets, but on basically how society is run. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. Another thing is I'm really looking to divest from uh, PayPal. I don't have much money in PayPal, but I collect my rent on PayPal. I PayPal all the bets I've won and lost during baseball season, football season. PayPal is how I connect to people. I think PayPal is great. works well. But PayPal just changed their terms of service. And as of November 3rd, you may not use the PayPal for service for activities that, and this is one of them. This is number five. There's a bunch of them are basic. But one of them says, involve the sending, posting, and publication of any messages, content, or materials that in PayPal's sole discretion are harmful, obscene, harassing, or objectionable. So if PayPal just thinks it's harmful or objectionable, it's just in their sole discretion, if they just decide that, what you're sending the money for is harmful or objectionable. I mean, it's up to them. PayPal, too much power. Then their payment rail cannot be used for it. And might they say that you violated their terms of service and you have 10 grand in there and they shut it down? I don't want to use a payment rail like that. I want a payment rail that just shuts the fuck up and gets out of politics. Bitcoin's great because nobody runs it. It's nobody's fault that somebody said Bitcoin for a nefarious purpose because there's nobody in charge of the payment rail. The problem is at PayPal. As soon as they get big enough, they're going to have pressure to do stuff like this. And if you're one of the executives at PayPal, you're going to cave to the pressure too because you're going to lose everything if you allow people to, I don't know, send money to Julian Assange or whatever. Pressure is going to be too great. There's no point in running a company like that if you're just going to try to buck the pressure of the government. Now they should morally, but realistically, they're not going to. They're just not going to. They're a public company. They're not going to do it. So now they send out this terms and they know they're going to start enforcing censorship at the uh, censoring payments, prohibiting payments at the behest of government that in their sole discretion are harmful or objectionable. So if you subscribe to realmanwood.com or chrislist.com or my Substacks, uh, maybe they decide that what I'm saying is harmful or objectionable and then you can't use PayPal. So the payment rail is supposed to be like, like, Bitcoin. It's supposed to be neutral. It's supposed to just send the fucking payment, you know, shut the fuck up. You know, we're not interested in your political beliefs on who you think I should pay or not pay. Just like cash, as long as it's legal, as long as it's protected by the first amendment, I can say, I can give cash to whoever, you know, I can give cash to somebody who disagrees with our with what our government is doing. There's nobody in their sole discretion who can stop that. And they want to get rid of cash. They want to have everything electronic and they want to, in their sole discretion, decide who can pay whom for what. And so I want to get out of PayPal. So I'm exploring other companies. They're all going to be under the same pressure, by the way. I mean, it's ultimately Bitcoin. And so it's just a matter of the tax consequences of using Bitcoin and also people being able to receive, store and use it properly, which is not at scale yet. Most people don't really still know how to use it. But until then, I'm going to at least diversify. So I have other options open, maybe cash app. It's looking at a strike, but 
they can't really do high limits for certain transactions. So anyway, I, I, you know, again, act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law. I think, I think PayPal has got to be limited. I think we got to figure out a way to have some alternatives. Okay. So there's that. What else? I had a couple ideas. So one of them is the notion of homeostasis. So homeostasis is sort of the state uh, of balance that organic systems go to when left alone. So let's say, you know, there's a certain population of gazelles and a certain population of lions and lions eat too many gazelles and there's not enough gazelles around that are slow and sick. So lions aren't successful hunting them. And so the lion population dies off a bit. And there's fewer lions, but then the gazelle population will expand because there's fewer of its predators and it expands a bit. And then once it expands, then there's more food for the lions and the lions hunt too many of them. And then it declines and, you know, it ends up in homeostasis. I'm not even sure if that's how gazelles and lions work. I'm just making up this ridiculous example, but you understand, or, you know, even like climate warms, there's more trees, there's more green that grows, the trees absorb more carbon, the climate cools. Natural systems tend toward homeostasis. Now that doesn't mean it can't be broken, but in general, there, there may be a new homeostasis, a new equilibrium after you put too much energy into the system that breaks the present equilibrium. But in general, homeostasis is just the way in which complex systems, organic systems remain in balance. And I think like what we do too often is we try to fix a system. We tend, we tend to like try to interfere in this process of homeostasis, right? So we think, well, I'm feeling anxiety. Let me take some anxiety medication rather than just being extremely anxious, getting through a few activities while being anxious and then no longer being so anxious. Instead, we're like, let's give you this pill. And now you never feel anxious or you feel much less anxious when doing these activities. And you've never conquered the ba basic reason that you had anxiety in the first place. And so as you get a, get a tolerance for these drugs, you got to take more of them or they stop working and then you panic and you're trying to find a new drug or a new cocktail of chemicals to allow you to live your life without anxiety. Whereas if maybe you had just sort of faced it initially without the chemicals, you might've gotten through it. So we're constantly interfering as humans with just these natural processes of homeostasis. And, you know, I was talking about fasting a few weeks ago and, you know, you may be sick, you may have digestive problems and we're constantly throwing all these processed foods into the system that are exacerbating our condition. And maybe just by not doing anything, the gut can heal itself. The system can heal itself and return to us to a sense of homeostasis it's why fasting for extended period of time cures a lot of ailments because the body not being constantly tampered with, with unnatural foods or eating too often or constantly having to digest will eventually repair itself. And I also think sort of of meditation as a mental fast, right? Instead of feeding your mind with stimulation and thoughts all the time, you're sort of fasting, you're letting your emotions arise. You're letting your feelings come up. You're not chasing them away through distractions and thoughts. And that's a sort of homeostasis. That's the natural process of feeling bad, feeling sad, feeling angry, feeling grief, whatever it is you need to feel. You're not drugging yourself. You're not distracting yourself. You're just allowing the natural process to, to heal itself. And that works. I don't know. I just, it was something I was thinking about to, just to sort of let things be more even your thoughts, you know, not fix things by thinking them through. I mean, it's great to have a plan, have a recipe, although I don't usually cook with recipes. I just kind of make up, make it up as I go along, but you know, have a math equation 
have methods of doing things is obviously useful. But at the same time, barring just those kind of narrow uses of thinking about things and putting things in order, you know, maybe there's a process of homeostasis by which things fall into order when you don't mess with them, when you're not trying to constantly figure out what's going on, what to do, how to resolve this, how to resolve that. Just let it be. Just be present with it. If you're upset with somebody and you're thinking about what to say and what they said to you and all that stuff. But if you just feel upset, just feel the emotion behind it. Don't strategize at all. Stay with that for 24 hours, not make any strategy. Just feel as you feel about it. See what happens the next day. Maybe it's resolved itself. Maybe there was nothing to resolve. I mentioned this in a, in a prior podcast a while back. Sometimes you're talking to somebody and they utter a truth and you just know it's true that what they said just is the absolute truth. You don't have any proof of that, but you just know in that moment, like what he said is true. I remember one time, and I've mentioned this before, that I was in Marin County for some reason and we were sitting on the deck of some restaurant and I think we were pretty stoned in this friend. If I was with him, I was probably stoned. And I was eating like a BLT or fish and chips or something like that. And these seagulls just kept coming over to our table. They were picking the food, leftover food on other tables and they were kind of encroaching on our table. And every time one got about three feet away from me, I would like swipe my hand at it, scare it off. And it was, you know, it's bothering me. And plus I was high. So it was really bothering me. And he says to me, he looks at me, he says, you know what the problem with you is? You're always trying to get rid of things that'll go away on their own. And I don't know why, but it's just like he said it. It was a stupid example. I was trying to get rid of this stupid seagull. I don't know if it would have gone away on its own, but it was just true. It was just something he said. It was true. Problem with me is I was trying to get rid of things that would just go away on their own. I'll just leave that, pass it along. All right. So the other big thing, obviously, is this whole escalation of aggression in Ukraine. And I'm not following it moment to moment, mostly because I don't think anything that I would hear would be true. And I don't trust the people saying it. But I do see some common themes, which is that, that are disturbing, which is that the idea that Putin's a madman. He's a psychopath. He's a madman. I don't, I don't know that he is or is not a madman, but I just think, why are they trying to make you believe that he's a madman? Because they did this with Saddam Hussein too. With Saddam Hussein's a madman. And he has weapons of mass destruction. We have to do anything it takes. Whatever we say that we need, whatever money we say we need, whatever war we have to mobilize, whatever aggression we have to do, it's needed because this is a madman with WMD. Now, Russia really does have WMD, unlike Saddam, but is Putin a madman? I don't know. I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he is. I just think that they're definitely trying to make you believe he's a madman, whether he is or isn't. And the reason that's dangerous is it's sowing the case for doing anything they want. Because again, he does have nuclear weapons. And if he's a madman, then anything is justified. So something that would be justified, preemptive nuclear strike. Because if he's a madman, and then the other thing they're sowing, and I hear this too, is Russia's losing. They're on their last legs. The army's depleted. They're turning on him. They got nothing left. They know it's over. So if you have a madman that is definitely losing a war and that could cost him leadership, he could get killed, he could get his rivals could kill him, who knows? If you have a madman that's losing and desperate and in a corner, he could do anything. He's extremely dangerous, which means we would be justified in doing anything. And then it starts getting scary. Like, okay, I, I think like there are some sick people who think you could have a tactical nuclear strike, that that would be a legitimate measure in a war. And you'd have to think, okay, well, then they'll do a tactical nuclear strike. We'll do a tactical nuclear strike. 
you know, there's no chance that'll escalate all that nuclear war. Now, to me, like, even if there's unlikely, and I don't know how unlikely it is if we started going that, that route, but even if it were unlikely, 10% chance of a major nuclear war, I mean, that's just, it's just so fucking stupid over nothing, over Ukraine. And don't give me the, oh, we stand with the people of Ukraine, they were invaded. I actually think it's horrible they were invaded and I actually feel very bad for them. But don't think for a second that the national security apparatus of the United States cares about the people of Ukraine. They don't give a shit that Yemen got bombed for the last three years. They didn't care about invading Iraq. They certainly don't care about you. They don't care about Ukraine. Caring about Ukraine is the last reason we would get involved in this. It's geopolitical advantage. It's probably some money involved. Ukraine is an extremely corrupt region and there's lots of favors and money being exchanged and arms being sold. There are reasons that I don't, I am not privy to. But one thing I am sure of is that the reason we're in this is not because they care about the people of Ukraine. That's just, there's just no evidence that caring about the people of another country has motivated us to do virtually anything in our history. And certainly not national security apparatus people, the apparatchiks for the national security state. So I would say two things. One is there is no line that these people would not cross. There is no ethical boundary that will hold them back. You know, if you watch the Bourne movies, I mention this all the time, and they're going to kill their own agent and they're going to kill innocent people who have information that could get out about their own agent. No one says, oh, the CIA would never do that. We all know they would. When you watch the Americans and the fake Americans, the KGB agents are doing horrendous murders, horrendous things to innocent people. Uh, you never say, oh, they would never do that. The KGB would never do that. Of course they would do that. These are intelligence operatives. That's what they do. They do horrible things and they feel it's justified for the greater good, whether that greater good is for Mother Russia or whether that greater good is for the neoliberal order or because the madman has weapons of mass destruction and we must do this. Remember, Saddam Hussein was a madman with weapons of mass destruction. Remember, Vietnam was communists will take over the world if we don't do this. There's always a terrifying reason we have to do this stuff. But if you just look at it on its face, the invasion of Ukraine, terrible as that is, is not a reason for us to get involved in World War III. It's not a reason for us to get involved in anything remotely risking nuclear war. And if you, if you think it is, then, then you probably think Russia should have gotten involved in World War III over Iraq, right? We invaded a sovereign country. Shouldn't Russia have just gone into Iraq and had nuclear war with us because we were doing that? No, obviously not. That would have been idiotic. By the same principle, it would be idiotic for us to do this over Ukraine. And actually, Russia has a much bigger interest in having Ukraine on its border not be a hostile force because it's right on its border. We had no reason to go into Iraq, no good reason. And there were no weapons of mass destruction. That was a total lie. And so if we're justified in taking on Russia because they invaded Ukraine, then Russia should have started World War III over our invasion of Iraq. And that would have been just stupid. And they didn't. And it's equally stupid for us to be escalating now. And I don't think the purpose is because the people of Ukraine. And I don't think it's because Putin's a madman. I think if, like in World War II, Putin attacked our soil, like Pearl Harbor, I think that would be a different thing. But this is, he's attacking Ukraine. It doesn't mean the attack on Ukraine was justified or good or correct. It's horrible. It's horrible for the people. But it's not a reason to get into World War III anymore that our invasion of Iraq was a reason for Russia to start World War III or China to start World War III. That would have been very odd for them to do that over that. So um, at some point, you know, you just hope that cooler heads prevail. But the problem is, as I said, they are sowing the seeds, these seeds of fear that you have a madman with weapons of mass destruction and anything we do is necessary. And we're going to keep throwing money over there. And the Nord Stream pipeline blew up and it's probably the US and anything we do is justified now. 
And this is a very dangerous situation to be in. And the other reason it's dangerous is because the midterms are coming up. And I don't trust the Republicans at all. I think the McConnells and those people are totally captured, as captured as the Democrats, completely corrupt, in the pocket of powerful factions, and would not do anything for the greater good. I don't mean they would do something for the quote greater good, but not do anything for the average person, would not do something out of principle. But I think because some of the people in the Republican Congress really do dislike the Democrats and really do disagree with what happened in the last couple of years with COVID and and some of the Russia stuff and the Biden laptop and a whole bunch of other things, censorship, I think there could be some serious investigations into what happened in the last couple of years that implicates not only the Democratic Party and its leadership, but also some of the CIA, some of the national security apparatus. I think some of those people are at some risk. Now, again, I don't really trust the Republicans to go through with this because they are corrupted also. So I'm not like, yeah, if they win, it's going to, it's a big win. I hope they win because I hope some accountability is possible, but I don't really trust them at all. I just think that it's better than the status quo. So if I know this, then of course the administration knows it and their security state apparatus knows it. Those people know it and they really do not want the midterms to go off on schedule because it's likely, or it's certainly, if not likely, it's certainly plausible that there'd be a seismic shift in the in which party's in power after the election. So I think we're in a very, very dangerous month. I don't know what lengths they would go to to avoid the possibility of accountability, even the chance that there's some accountability. And I don't think we should underestimate them. I think they would do very, very crazy things. I mean, the U.S. is not proof yet that the U.S. did it, but looks like it, looks like the evidence points to it may have just blown up a pipeline that is the energy source for hundreds of millions of people in the winter. I mean, they may have just done that. So there is nothing, in my opinion, that they wouldn't do if they thought they could get away with it or if they thought it would protect them from accountability. It reminds me, and I posted this in my Twitter feed, the scene in Casino where Joe Pesci's narrating and he says, you know, the bosses didn't want to do 25 years, even though they're old and especially they're old and sick. And they had a meeting behind the courthouse about, you know, who might give them up. And they talk about one of their guys, one of their main guys. And one of them's like, no, he's solid. He's a Marine. He's not going to talk. And I was like, absolutely. Everything I've seen says he's solid, just like his old man. And the last guy says, I don't know. Why take a chance? So the next scene is them murdering that guy. And this to me is the mentality. It's a mafia, you know, of why take a chance that if they lose the midterms, there could be accountability. So what does that look like? What does killing that guy look like? I don't know. Someone on Twitter said, I'm going to bookmark this. If this doesn't come true, you better be accountable that you said all this stuff. I said, look, I already know they're trying to escalate this conflict, that they're not trying to settle, that the pipeline just got blown up. I already know that. So I know they're doing this. Will they succeed? Will, will what, they're, what they propose take? Will they end up doing a tactical nuclear strike? Will they do one and blame it on Russia? Will they? I don't know what, the, I don't know what they're going to do. You say, look, this is a, a risky thing. You can see what they're doing. They're escalating this war. They blew up the fucking pipeline, it seems. That, I mean, two weeks ago, if you're like, what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything. And then the pipeline blows up. I would say, hey, look what they just did. That's pretty serious escalation. How much is that worth to Russia? Imagine if, if Russia blew up some of our crucial energy infrastructure that we deliver to other countries. That's, that's, that's a massive escalation. They're escalating. There's people who want World War III. I don't know why, but there's people who want World War III. And so... Do I hope I'm totally wrong about this? Of course I hope so. I hope they lamely try and cooler heads prevail that, that people with experience and rationality say this is just stupid. 
to even risk something like this over Ukraine, which is not in our primary national interest. And tragic as it is for Ukrainians, we did the same fucking thing in Iraq. We did the same fucking thing. Killed like a million Iraqis. Doesn't make it right. It's, it makes it wrong. But that doesn't mean we should start World War III over it. So let's not get it twisted. I just, these people object like, oh, I'm supposed to tell you exactly what's going to happen. If that doesn't happen, then, oh, you see, see, it didn't happen. No, I'm telling you what I see already happening and what I'm concerned with, the direction this is going. And I'm saying it so that my meager sphere of influence can influence two or three or 20 or 50 people who will also be like, yeah, this is really fucked up and maybe influence their small circle of people. And who knows? It's a Kantian thing. I don't know the results. I don't have a spreadsheet that says, if I say this, maybe some people will consider it. And if I don't say it, maybe I won't lose any subscribers to my sports Substack. I mean, I don't do a spreadsheet. I think if you think this and you're concerned about it, you should say something about it. It's fucking people like, they're like, oh, well, it's like the amount of rigor they hold you to if you dissent from the narrative is 10 times the amount of rigor required with someone just passing on like, oh, Putin's a madman. No one says, oh, I'm going to hold you to that. I'll timestamp this. And if he's not proven to be a madman, I'm going to call you out. Nobody says that because everybody's saying Putin's a madman. It's just taken as a given. So it's just a rule. It's kind of like, talked about it last week, Brandolini's law. The amount of energy required to refute bullshit is 10 times the amount of energy to promulgate it. Well, my law is the amount of rigor it takes to make a dissenting opinion, the amount of rigor you have to have in your in terms of backing, backing it up and, and what's expected. And you've got to explain exactly what you mean. And every little thing is 10 times the amount of rigor you need. If you're just parroting whatever the powerful faction society wants you to believe. So there's that. I hope, I hope that's totally wrong, but it is uh, something that concerns me because, you know, it, this is not like some regional thing, you know, nuclear war. This is, you know, this is just, it's unthinkable. I mean, it's beyond stupid. It's just anyone who's like, thinks this is a good idea. is just, just beyond stupid. They're just fucking idiots. I'll say one last thing. The feeling I get, and I, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I really starting to feel it like the mass formation psychosis. So great. Everyone's mass formation psychosis, mask up, get boosted. All this bullshit, all these slogans, all these people trying to persecute you. If you didn't mask up or take the latest Pfizer, okay, fine. That was mass formation psychosis. It seems to cool off a little bit. All these people who were like so pissed just forgot it. Like they want to pretend like that never happened. Oh, friends again, no problem, you know? Okay, but that's just sort of something, okay? And that's weird. It's definitely weird. But the thing that's much more strange for me that's really hitting home, that's making me feel like we're in a mass formation right now is that people, just these guys, like these guys on Twitter, I, I post something that I think and they'll say, stick to sports. A couple of guys did that this week. And I, I usually have fun with them, mock them, and they, they become good fodder for my Twitter feed. But, why, but think about why they're doing that. Why are you random person that has no sway over me whatsoever? Why are you telling me to stick to sports? Like you could unfollow, you could just think it and be quiet. Why are you tweeting that? Why are you feeling the need to do that? Because I'm posting things that are uncomfortable for them to read. They don't like reading them. It may, puts a feeling of dislike. Now, why do they dislike what I'm saying? Because nothing I'm saying is like go up and attack somebody or it's not like dangerous, anything I'm saying. 
What I'm saying is, is questioning the narrative that they believe. And when they come in contact with what I'm saying, it creates cognitive dis dissonance, which is uncomfortable. And I think the more we go on in society, the more we've been locked down and in our homes and don't say this word, don't say that word. This is a microaggression. The more we're sort of coddling everybody and ourselves, the less we're basically saying there should be no emotional pain suffered anywhere. If you're not comfortable with your gender at age 12, if puberty is uncomfortable for you, which it is for everybody, then let's fix this. Let's not, you shouldn't endure any discomfort. And we're trying to sort of just get rid of every kind of emotional discomfort. So if you have an extremely low tolerance of emotional discomfort combined with high levels of cognitive dissonance, because you're seeing, because you're in such a constrained version of reality that any contradiction to it, the contradictions are going to show up everywhere. If you follow people who aren't brainwashed or you open your eyes or look around you or talk to somebody who's not on, you know, in your tribe, this is a recipe for insanity. You're very sensitive to seeing something you don't want to see or hear something you don't want to hear. At the same time, you need to have things a certain way. So you're constantly going to be upset. You're constantly going to be trying to, Hey, we got to, you got to shut that off. I like your sports stuff, but you got to shut this off. I can't do it. Like you're, you're literally going to be, even though he knows when he says this, it's not going to change anything. You're going to be so reactive to what you see and you're going to need to get into a narrower and narrower bubble follow fewer and fewer people until there's just no emotional discomfort whatsoever. And it, and as a result, I see people I used to know, friends of mine, people I knew, and they just can't go there. They can't think anymore. If you present them with a hypothetical, like, well, what if, you know, Russia attacked us for invading Iraq, right? We invaded a sovereign country. That was wrong. Their minds can't go there. If it's outside the narrative, it just shuts down. It just shuts down. You know, the vaccine is not effective at all. And they did tell you it was 95% effective against the spread. And it's really barely, if at all, effective. And there's side effects. They can't go there. They'll say stuff like, they never said that. But it's on video. Of course they said it. Of course they said it. They'll say stuff like, well, it still helps. And no, those side effects are rare. That's, that's a conspiracy theory. Anything that causes them this cognitive dissonance, which is a form of emotional discomfort for which they have no tolerance, is a conspiracy theory. You're a right winger. You're a Trumper. It's a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory. It's disinformation. They just have to delete it. They have to just delete it. They can't follow me. They can't read what I'm saying. They can't consider it. If they see it, they have to dismiss it. It's just their minds are not capable of thought. They are not capable of thinking things through. I've had conversations with people where they'll say stuff like, and I've said this before, like, oh yeah, well, it's okay because he won't catch it because he's vaccinated. I'll be like, yeah, but he's caught it twice before and, he's sp and the vaccinated spread it just as much as the unvaccinated and everybody's had it three times even though they've been vaccinated four times. And they'll say, yeah, 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 no, no, I know, I know. But, uh, but yeah, but because he's vaccinated, they just, their brain is just stuck. It's stuck. They can't do it. And this is kind of scary. This is what the insanity is. It's just, they're not right now being like, you don't agree with me. I'm going to kill you. They're just like, yeah, let's not talk about this. Yeah. It just is vaccinated. Good. Vaccinated. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Russia, bad Putin, madman. That's it. They can't, there is no room. There's nothing. And you know, I, I feel like, you know, when, when I was younger and I read about and learned about Nazi Germany and 
some of the horrible atrocities in history. I thought, how could people do that? Like, how could a society, especially an advanced civilized society like Germany in the 20th century, how could they do that? How could they devolve into that? And after the last few years, <laughs> it's given me an education like I never could have gotten from reading history. People just cannot, they're in a state of mass psychosis. They cannot process reality and they can be mobilized to think and do basically anything. And there's a quote, I'm not sure who it's from, maybe Hannah Arendt, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And we're definitely in the believe absurdities place right now. Let's hope it doesn't get to the latter place. All right, that's it. That's it for now. Sorry to end on such a, uh, a down note, but I'm going running today. Hopefully I'll uh, shake off some of this, sweat it out. Till next time.